Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, thanks, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, live from Washington, D.C., and welcome to Prime Time. The Attorney General Bill Barr did not back down an inch before the Senate committee today, and that made strengths and weaknesses of his case and his cause very clear. Democrat on the Senate panel who did get to cross-examine the Attorney General today, he's going to tell us what comes next now and what comes next in the House now that Mr. Barr says he won't show tomorrow. Also, big question from today. How can the attorney general rationalize clearing the president on crimes that are driven by intent without knowing what the president's intent was? That's the big question for Cuomo's court. We'll take it on. Let's get after it. So the latest is that Chairman Nadler in the House says that the AG is trying to blackmail his committee by not showing tomorrow. And he's threatening to hold Mr. Barr in contempt unless the full unredacted Mueller report is handed over. Now, the question is, should they subpoena Mr. Barr? Why did they not? They had that available to them. Mr. Barr has no interest in changing perceptions about him, given what he said today, especially when it comes to suggestions that he's just covering for the president. We saw that when he made excuses on Trump's behalf, parsing words over what the president may have meant when he talked to Don McGahn and others. Here's a sample. The president never directed him to fire. And there is a distinction between saying to someone, go fire him, go fire Mueller, and saying, have him removed based on conflict. Right. The problem is that that distinction is based on your intention, right? The words you use are a function of what you mean. But as far as we know, the attorney general doesn't know what the president meant because we are told he never spoke to him about this. And certainly the president refused to be interviewed and never answered any written questions, even through his attorneys, about obstruction. So how does he know? How can he be so sure? Let's ask somebody who had to put those questions to the AG today, Senate Judiciary Committee member Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware. Senator, thank you for joining us. I know it's been a long day. It's been a long day indeed, Chris, but it was Uh, I thought a very revealing hearing in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, My concern all along about Attorney General Bill Barr has been that Donald Trump, our president, nominated him uh, because he was looking for someone to be his loyal counsel, his advocate, rather than the people's attorney general. Uh, And I think in the questioning before our committee today, we saw that that's exactly what President Trump has gotten. Uh, Someone who has been shading things, characterizing things, Um, shifting things in a way that favors the president's narrative and in a way that has made it harder for the American people uh, to really get the benefit of Robert Mueller's hard work as special counsel. All right. So for the sake of argument, let's say you're right or it doesn't matter, but it's a matter of opinion. What is it? What difference does it make going forward? Um, Well, I asked a question today that I thought uh, was directly related to our next election to 2020. 
there was bipartisan agreement at the beginning of the hearing uh, that given volume one of the Mueller report, which lays out chapter and verse, um, how aggressively uh, Russian intelligence officials, uh, Russian intelligence officers from the GRU um, broke into and hacked into the DNC's emails, Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton's emails, uh, shared those with WikiLeaks, tried to help Donald Trump. Uh, and then the Trump campaign failed when offered this help uh, to notify the FBI. I asked Attorney General Barr going right. forward in 2020, uh, should a campaign offer dirt on their opponent by a hostile power, accept it or should they go to the FBI? And he hesitated. He hemmed and hawed. He said, that depends. I'm not sure uh, mm. if it's a foreign intelligence officer, uh, perhaps. Right. Um, and now, I was think that, he why was wasn't that an acceptable that answer, question. Senator? I, I heard that and I heard it with great interest. And it was an inch. I want your take, because my take was that he was trying to put the gotcha on you for not being precise enough in the question. Were we just talking about anybody from North Korea or were we talking about someone that, you know, is connected to the intelligence of a foreign slash inimical power? How did you take it? Uh, I think he was trying to shape the question so that it did not implicate the actions of the Trump campaign team mm. uh, in the Trump Tower meeting with Russians who were proffering information uh, who they didn't know for sure uh, were from the intelligence service. That's what I thought he was doing. Mm. Now, I want to play some sound of one of the answers that Mr. Barr gave today that kind of sheds light on where we are in terms of how to assess neutrality and any sense of impartiality going forward. I received a letter from Bob, the letter that's just been put into the record. And I called Bob and said, you know, what's the issue here? Are you and I asked him if he was suggesting that the March 24th letter was inaccurate. And he said no, but that the press reporting had been inaccurate. He was very clear with me that he was not suggesting that uh, we had misrepresented his report. Now, obviously... Uh, Mr. Barr would be nuts to just make things up that Mr. Mueller said, knowing that while Senator Graham may block him from coming to your committee, he's almost certainly going to appear before somebody of Congress. Um, so what he said there, two interesting things. One, it's about a phone call, not the letter. So we don't know. We only have the actual text in the letter. Mr. Mueller does not mention the media in the letter, but he does convey that because of what he calls Mr. Barr's summary, the public now has misimpressions and misinterpretations of what happened. Mr. Barr blamed the media for it. What's your take? I think Robert Mueller's goal in that letter uh, was to further press uh, Bill Barr, the attorney general, mm -hmm. to release the summaries, the 10 and 12 page summaries of the two volumes of his 400 page report. Clearly. That's because if the summary of the second volume had been released to the public 25 days earlier uh, than it ultimately was, uh, it lays out a great deal of the troubling facts about obstruction of justice. It makes it clear that there were 10 different instances in which a senior White House officials or the president himself Mm -hmm. uh, directed folks uh, to try and fire Mueller, uh, directed folks to lie, directed folks to create uh, false documents. Um, that would have been clear so that the uh, sort of triumphalist narrative that mm -hmm. the uh, president and his defenders uh, took to the press of, with for three weeks that he was completely exonerated couldn't right. have been sustained. So right. I think it's possible that what Robert Mueller was saying was, well, you weren't misleading, you weren't... Um, inaccurate in how you characterized my report, but you weren't fully forthcoming. 
and you're leaving the public with this mistaken impression for more than three weeks so that it sets in the public's mind the idea that this report is far more exculpatory than it actually is. All right. Now, in terms of going forward, if Mr. Mueller comes in and speaks, let's say, before the House and says, yeah, look, here was what I meant on obstruction. It was a close call. I couldn't make the call anyway because of the guidance and it wouldn't be fair to the president. Uh, So we didn't make a call because obviously, as I say in the report, Congress can do this. And the criminality is moot anyway because you're not going to indict this president. So, yeah, I wanted to leave it up to Congress. What would that mean that's any different than what you could do right now? Um, Well, I think it would be important for the public to hear uh, that Robert Mueller didn't exonerate the president, uh, that he conducted a wide-ranging and thorough investigation and uncovered ample evidence of obstruction of justice. Uh, But given the constraints that you just referenced, he left it to Congress to decide what further actions to take with regard to the president. Let me also remind you, Chris, there are at least 12 other ongoing investigations Mm. uh, in other courts and other jurisdictions that were spun off of the Mueller special counsel investigation. One of my core questions today was whether we can continue to have confidence uh, that Mm. Bill Barr will supervise those ongoing investigations uh, in his role as attorney general in a way that really is impartial. And it was very clear from the questioning of yours and Senator Harris to Mr. Barr today, he was very clear, I am not recusing myself. I don't think I have to go to the ethics panel about it, and it's going to continue on. So there is a story to be told there as well. I think the biggest thing that you guys got today in terms of any kind of concession from Barr is that he said, I accept all the findings of Mr. Mueller in this report based on the underlying evidence, which he then admitted he hadn't seen all of it. But if he believes that everything in that report is fair and accurate, then this president's going to have a lot to answer for when people understand exactly what's in there. Senator, thank you. I'll talk to you going forward. All right. So Mr. Barr actually blamed the media and Mr. Mueller today for any confusion. He blamed Mueller for not reaching a conclusion on charging the president and took other shots at the special counsel as well. He also hinted to what we were just talking about, about further investigations. When asked about the White House, asking him to take on investigations, asking him to do things. He parsed. What do you mean? Ask. What do you mean? Do we talk? Well, what does that mean about what he may do on other matters coming up? We're going to take it up with a great team of investigators. Next. So the AG and Bob Mueller have purportedly been friends for decades, but not here. Bob Mueller is the equivalent of a U.S. attorney. I don't consider Bob at this stage a career prosecutor. You know, the letter's a bit snitty, and I think it was probably written by one of his staff people. That's not very friendly. I want to bring in a great team of people who understand these issues, the implications in law and in journalism. Phil Mudd, Susan Hennessy, and Michael Isikoff. It's good to have you all three here. Now, I want to talk about the big takeaways of what this means today and going forward. Mike, uh, to your appreciation of now you see that Barr, buddy buddies with Mueller, no more. This is about protecting the president no matter who gets in the way. Here's evidence of it today. We had Senator Grassley on this point with the AG. Take a listen. Was it special counsel Mueller's responsibility to make a charging recommendation? Uh, I think the deputy attorney general and I thought it was. Now. 
That was just a taste. In fact, it wasn't even that good one. I'm going to have them find something better because there was a lot of discussion about what Mueller should have done and what Mueller was supposed to be about. Your take. Yeah, I mean, Barr was clearly throwing his old friend and colleague, uh, Bob Mueller, under the bus. I mean, he he criticized him on multiple levels right from the get go. He said he met with Mueller on March 5th and talked to him about the upcoming report and said he told him, make sure you identify grand jury material so we don't have to get into a protracted review that's going to delay this. And he says Mueller essentially ignored him. Right. That he d- gave him a report without identifying. There was so much more work to do. We were surprised. The and that's the reason it was weeks. delayed. He also right. said something else that plays to the Republicans. The Republicans today, they didn't want to talk about uh, whether or not there was obstruction. They didn't want to talk about any of that. They wanted to talk about spying. And they want to talk about how the real Russian collusion is with the Clinton campaign paying for a dossier that was used with Russian agents. And that was money given to Russia, essentially. That's collusion. And Bob, Bill Barr, when asked about it, was like, well, yeah, I guess he should have looked at that. I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the spying. Yeah, he probably should have looked into the roots. Now, what does that mean? That really wasn't part of the purview for Mr. Mueller, no, was but it? Barr has made pretty clear he buys into the Republican argument sure. on this. And there is an inspector general report that's coming, you know, in the next few weeks that's mm-hmm. going to have a big impact on how this plays out. If the IG finds that there were problems in the way that the FBI used the uh, Steele dossier and the Mm -hmm. FISA warrant, that's going to play right into the Republicans' hands, and it is going to change the debate on this somewhat, because that would give an imprimatur from an independent arbiter to that argument. We don't know that's what he's going to find, but that's the ball game on that score. Susan, one thing in the weeds that I want, because it's going to be relevant to people, and hopefully I'll remind them then and play this sound again. They'll be like, oh, that's why he said it. Carter Page is going to be a big thing for the Republicans. They're going to say the way you got that FISA warrant was bogus. Now, Mike Mukasey, former AG uh, under President Bush, friend of the show, comes on and he says that Carter Page um, FISA application, probable cause of a crime. They never charged him. What does that tell you? That wasn't the standard for getting the FISA application on Carter Page, was it? It was probable cause about his connection to a foreign agent. They didn't have to charge him with a crime to justify that the surveillance was worthwhile, did they? Exactly. They didn't have to charge him with a crime. Any individual who's worked in the intelligence community in the Department of Justice who read the Mueller report would understand that it would have been appalling for the the FBI to have seen uh, the level of of that uh, that level of evidence and not have at least looked into it as a counterintelligence matter. Now, a FISA warrant is an extraordinarily high standard. The government has to go before uh, before a federal court, a federal judge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, it is secret. Yes, it is a little bit different from the ordinary process. There is absolutely no indication that anything improper occurred, anything irregular happened. Uh, Of course, the inspector general's report will come out. Uh, That's going to be important. But if the FISA court, if the FISC itself believed that there was any kind of issue, they would be looking into this. And there's just no indication whatsoever, uh, either that there was a problem with the manner in which they obtained the FISA warrant or that there was that there lacked proper predication Mm. here. There is an abundance of proper predication. Any individual can see that from what Mueller has produced. In fact, they were looking at Carter Page even before uh, the campaign for the certain kinds of activities. Now, second legal point is how Mr. Barr rationalized his explanations on obstruction today. Here's a key piece of sound about that from the hearing. The president could terminate that proceeding and it would not be a corrupt intent because he was being falsely accused. And we now know that he was being falsely accused. 
Do we now know that he was being falsely accused or do we now know that there was no proof beyond a reasonable doubt in Mueller's estimation that there was a conspiracy a criminal conspiracy. Aren't those very different things? And how would he know anyway right. what the president thought? Exactly. So certainly we've seen a report that essentially said lots of collusion, no criminal conspiracy, right. which is something quite different. But even on its face, this sort of legal argument, which really is the primary argument that Barr is making to say that the president of the United States did not commit a crime in the face of the overwhelming evidence that we actually see on that very point, is this notion that there's no underlying crime, right? If you if you, if you haven't committed the underlying crime, you, that you can't therefore obstruct justice. That's just wrong. The underlying crime had occurred. For example, uh, Michael Flynn had lied to the FBI. That's a crime to which he mm. pled guilty. The investigation that the president was obstructing uh, was, was into that behavior. It was into Russian interference in the U.S. election. Certainly, uh, Bob Mueller has, uh, has laid out the, the overwhelming evidence of the, the existence of that crime. And so really, this argument that, that, um, that Bill Barr is making again and again and again to basically say, well, if there's no underlying crime, there can't be obstruction— it's just wrong as a legal matter. It's just not supported by the facts. I think it really does go to a really important point, which is this is the attorney general reassuring the American people that the president of the United States did not commit a crime while in office. And he is not remotely convincing on that point. Except at the end of the day is politics, Phil. And even though you were in the business of intelligence and intelligence analysis, you know, you got a keen eye for politics. How do you think this came out today? Well, you know, I did a lot of hearings. Let's take this from a different optic. That is Barr's optic. You're walking into a hostile hearing. Let me give you one bar, if you will. It is not going to go well. He walks out of the hearing and a couple of things happen. And I'm going to tell you my bottom line, bar one. Th- item number one that happens. How much was President Trump discussed today? And how much was President Trump hammered by either side? Barr is taking all the heat. Mm -hmm. The president is taking no heat after two and a half years where the president's getting hammered. So if I'm walking out and I'm the White House, I'm saying my attorney general just took one for the team. That's a success. Second and final success. If you're Barr, you're going to go in talking about the investigation. You're going to go in talking about uh, issues that have been on the headlines every day. How many headlines today for middle America? If you're going into that hearing, I'm saying I don't want to walk out with the success. I want to walk out ensured that I didn't drop a bomb that embarrassed the White House. So it's not only the president's name, it's any bombshells. If I'm him, I'm walking out saying not bad. Look, and that would be successful if he was the president's defense attorney, if he was the president's private counsel. So to the extent that he actually viewed that as his job, I agree. It probably was successful. The problem is he's the chief law enforcement officer and the attorney general of the United States. He works for us, not for Donald Trump. What this does tee up is Bob Mueller's testimony. Mm. I think that is going to have more of an impact than anything that happened today. And look, I mean, Mueller has not spoken. He doesn't like to speak at all. He's not a loquacious guy. He doesn't do interviews. He doesn't like to give speeches. We're going to hear from him the first time. Uh, We probably should have heard from him before. um, But this was his report. How does he how does he present this? How did he analyze and how does he explain why he did not make a call on the obstruction? Well, that's the key. That is the big. And, you know, we read that letter and you listen to Barr's testimony. And at least part of the subtext here is Mueller was upset at the criticism he was getting after right. Barr's letter, for not making the call. Understood. And that's why he wrote the letter. All right, so that's a perfect stopping point. Let's take a break. When we come back, 
What is the way forward? What would need to happen to change the state of play as it stands right now? Is this just about over? Or could there be another chapter? What would that take? We'll take that on next. All right, so look, there is so much in this Mueller report. That's why we keep telling you to read it, because now you're going to hear it being spun all the time. For example, multiple accounts of the president calling for investigations of political rivals. But when the attorney general today was asked if he has been asked by the White House to launch them, listen to this. Has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no, please, sir. Um, the president or anybody else. Seems you'd remember something like that and be able to tell us. Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. Absolutely. He's trying to grapple with it. And I'm about to explain why. But let me bring back Phil, Susan and Michael. Thank you for sticking around and need you tonight. Appreciate it. So, Phil, the reason he's grappling with it is because he's not there as the AG, because if he was there just as the AG, he'd say, yeah, here's exactly what they said. It is not wrong for the White House to suggest an investigation of somebody. It would be wrong for you to do automatically whatever they say as attorney general who disagrees. I do disagree with if that. If the White House were to come to you and say, hey, we think you should look into something, no, that's so, not wrong for so them. So we have a, a basic principle of law enforcement independence. So right. yes, of course, the president oversees the right. Department of Justice, but there is a reason why there is a process by which communications sure. about specific cases only go through the White House counsel's office. And it's because a justice system that is wielded uh, against the president's political enemies or for political purposes or for anything other than the actual administration of justice, uh, that would be deeply corrosive to our system. And so uh, we have we have elaborate procedures designed to avoid exactly the perception of something like the that. Perception. It is so damn. But the idea, Mike, look, I don't need to tell you this. You know that presidents have said to their AGs before that things deserve attention, that people deserve attention. Uh, How you process it is matters yes but when you get into particular criminal investigations pretty much since watergate it's been a no-no for presidents or white house officials to make particular suggestions to attorneys generals to investigate particular people and i thought that was you know one of the most important parts of today's testimony right that harris questioning because clearly Barr knew there was something that's where right. this came up. And that's my and, point, you know, look, is that if they, he was playing it straight, he would have just said, yeah, they've talked to me about uh, a few you know, things, it, but we do what we want to do here. It, he didn't. He said, well, let me think. How do I stay clear of this situation, Phil? What do you mean by who? What do you mean by asked? That is a lawyer giving an answer to insulate exposure. Uh, time out. There's a penalty flag here. There's Go a ahead. difference, as you're suggesting, between saying, let's talk about a case. Yes. And should you open an investigation? Let me take you back in my old world of counterterrorism and make this crystal clear. Mm-hmm. We get intercepted communication that shows that there's extensive operational activity by Al Qaeda or ISIS. And you pick the city, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. You go into the White House. You have a conversation. And this would include the president, maybe his legal counsel. The conversation says this is what's going on in New York. We're looking at these al-Qaeda people in New York. They might have some connections there. For somebody to sit there and say, well, we think you should open up an investigation on these other people in the intercepted communications, that's weird. That doesn't, that's odd. I can see them saying we're interested in how this investigation proceeds, but for them to tell the legal people at Department of Justice and FBI, here's how you should proceed with an investigation. In my world, that's Bill, do you really think that Barr was thinking about a, a 
question about counterterrorism in that uh, colloquy no, with oh, Harris? On, Michael, no, that's what, clearly what not what. No, the obviously, is but what I'm saying in. is that there's a yeah. clear parallel for the White House, whether it's counterintelligence, counterterrorism, criminal case, to say that's a very interesting case. We have recommendations on how you open up an investigation. What? What well, is that? Look, the reason why Harris was asking the question is because there are multiple uh, instances described in the Mueller report right. in which the president of the United States directs the attorney general and other individuals to investigate Hillary Clinton. That is an abuse of his office. There is no uh, constitutional or other theory by which you could you could justify the, making, the president making that kind of request. And so Harris was asking, we know that he made that request of Jeff Sessions and, and other individuals. Has he made that request? Request of you and Bill Barr should be in a position to be able to say nope. absolutely that's, not. That's my point. And then when he was asked, I think it was by Lindsey Graham. I don't know. I lost count. But someone said to him in this kind of very semi-otter, you know, boom, 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 bullet point. Uh, do you agree with me about this? You agree with me? And it was. Do you think there was spying? Yes. Do you think that you need to look at? Yes. Do you think that the dossier is a problem? Yes. Do you think we have to look at what Clinton did too? Yes. And it was all the way down the line of checking every box of consideration for the president. So where does that take us next? Mike? Well, look, you know, the, the the discussion of the evidence in the Mueller report was kind of limited today. There was some time because he said he it. didn't look at all of it. Yeah, there was some, <laughs> some time spent on the McGahn issue and the fact that the president asked McGahn to write a memo that was false and that he didn't actually try to uh, uh, order him to fire Mueller. But, you know, there was so much else in that report. Consider the, the, the conversation the president has with Corey Lewandowski, in which he's telling yes. him to go to Jeff Sessions and have him curtail the investigation to, to avoid investigating what happened in the 2016 election, but to focus on future elections, aside from the question of how you investigate something that's going to happen in the future right. and the absurdity of that. That was clearly shows what the president's intent was, what he was trying to accomplish in all these. Not according to the AG. And they give him right. great shelter because Lewandowski didn't do it. Now, of course, you also have the inchoate, the incomplete crime of obstruction, endeavoring to obstruct, which they could have said, yeah, but you were trying to, even if the guy didn't do it. But Mr. Barr didn't want to touch any of that today. But my question is this. At the end of the day, there's exposure to Mr. Barr that he's been playing favorites instead of playing to the Constitution and being about the book the way he says he is. Fine. So what? Where does that leave the Democrats going forward? What has to happen next to change the state of play from where we are right now? I don't think it's just about the Democrats. The reason why we have things like special counsels and independent investigations is because it's really important for the American people to believe that there are unbiased investigations, that they can understand what has happened at the highest echelons of government, and that they can uh, they can believe and have faith in the findings. You got the and report. So essentially, what, what Barr has done is, in what Mueller's letter accuses him of directly, is, is inserting himself into the process such that he has stripped out the, the perception of, of Right. But you have the report. You'll have Mueller. Then what? Where, where do you go with this? I think this is pretty simple. Nancy Pelosi already told us we don't have substantial information allows us to go to where a lot of some of the fringe Democrats want to go impeachment. Not so fringe. At this I don't point. think, oh, I think fringe. they're fringe. In my, growing... per, in my opinion, they're fringe. But but my point is what she's saying is now we're going to proceed potentially with calling people like Don McGahn, like Robert Mueller. What's the what's what's the suggestion from her? We need video that is somebody on TV to give us a bombshell where the American people say, I didn't read 450 pages, but Don McGahn just told us 
The president asked me. So you to think they go through all of this again? Right. And I by the way, you think the people will piece, tolerate that? One important piece of news, other than Mueller, McGahn is clearly, you know, the most important witness we need to hear from. But Mo, uh, Barr said today we haven't waived executive right. privilege on McGahn. Essentially, it's up to the president if McGahn testifies. They may make a move to block him right. from testifying. And remember, this was an AG today who keeps saying the president fully cooperated. I don't know of everything that was said today. That makes the least sense to me. He he didn't give (laughs) Mueller so clearly what Mueller needed, although I don't know why he wrote in that report. You know, but we still had what we needed. to. No, you didn't. You couldn't even make a decision. The president obviously didn't testify. He didn't answer a single question about obstruction. He didn't answer any substantive questions about his presidency. I think this is why Congress, the the responsible thing for Congress to do is to proceed on an impeachment inquiry. An impeachment inquiry is not the same thing as impeachment. Impeachment inquiry is saying we still have questions. uh, Not all of the not we do not have all of the answers yet. And so we are going to do the duty and the constitutional function of our branch to hold hearings and and get answers for the American people. I just think they've got a fatigue factor. But look. These are all good points. We're going to see what you want at the end of the day. People will be looking at polls to see, is there any energy for people to want more examination of this? Susan Hennessy, Michael Isikoff, Phil Mudd, thank you very much. Phil will be coming back a little bit later, maybe. Some more key moments that left the AG flummoxed today, all right? Questions he hedged on. Now, those are going to be the ones that reveal gaps going forward. So let's bring in the legal eagles to take this on in Cuomo's court next. Bill Barr, the attorney general, was clearly trying to clear the president today, especially on obstruction. That's not a criticism. It's a matter of fact. Here is how he talked about the president, for instance, asking Don McGahn to get rid of the special counsel. The president never directed him to fire. And there is a distinction between saying to someone, go fire him, go fire Mueller, and saying, have him removed based on conflict. Yeah, and the distinction is based on intent. This would be all about the president's intent. The question is, how does Mr. Barr know what was in the head of the president at that time? Let's discuss this and more. Almost court is in session. Jim Schultz, Asha Rangappa, thank you to both of you. First, let's take on what I just said. Jimmy, um, the president did not testify. We know why. He did not answer any written questions about obstruction. We know why. How does Mr. Barr have complete confidence in what the intentions were and were not of the president? Look, he has to go on the conclusions of Mueller and clearly that he he did that here in terms of reading the facts that were in that report and taking them as true. And but he said Mueller he did not divine true. his intentions. And if, and, if, and, you and, know and, and, and if he's I understand. But if you're looking at it on its face and you're looking at what what was characterizing that report as a, a problem with conflicts of interest and a concern about conflicts of interest. First off, it's not Don McGahn's job at the time to look into conflicts of interest. That would have been the Justice Department's job. And that's likely why Don McGahn didn't take it up in any way, shape or form, among other reasons. So in terms of the conflict of interest, it was not his job to assess those conflicts of interest as White House counsel, nor okay. would it be his job to raise it to the Department of Justice. That's the job of Rudy right. Giuliani and Jay Sekulow and the pres- president's private lawyers. So he, in, that, in that sense, Don McGahn represents the White House in the context of it being the White House and the president as the president, not as a personal in- individual. All right, fine. But Asha, th- that is fine and true and well-reasoned, but off the point. The point is, did the president tell McGahn to do something to get rid of him? 
The AG says, I don't think he meant it that way. He didn't use the word fire. And there are alternate meanings of what could have happened. Where do you get the confidence in that? Well, you left out another key component of that clip, which is after the president asked McGahn to get rid of the special counsel, he then asked McGahn to falsify uh, a paper trail so that it never showed that he made that request. So that itself there shows a corrupt intent. It shows that he's trying to conceal what he was, in fact, trying to do. And as far as how Barr can know, he cannot. As you mentioned, there was no interview done of the president. Uh, There were no written answers given. So he has only Mueller's evidence, which he admitted today in his testimony that he himself has not reviewed. What If what he's doing is what legal uh, scholars say is a de novo review of, of all of it uh, brand new, then he has to go to the underlying evidence. And he basically admitted that he didn't do that. And from what I could tell, he's barely read the report. Mm. And then, uh, although he did say he accepts all the findings of Mr. Mueller, which I think is going to come back to haunt him, but he also uh, gave us a little window into how he saw the process here in terms of what rules were okay and not okay. Listen to this about the use of him and Mr. Rosenstein in this analysis. I am informed that before I arrived, he had been cleared by the ethics officials. Of what? Serving as acting attorney general on the Mueller case. How about making a charging decision on obstruction of justice? That is what the underlying offenses, which include him as a witness. You know, that's what the acting attorney general's job is. To be a witness and to make the decision about being a prosecutor? Well, no, but to make charging decisions. So what's the point here? The point here, Jimmy, is that Rosenstein might have been a witness in the matter that he then decided with Mr. Barr. If he's by the book Barr, why didn't he go and get ethics clearance on whether or not Rosenstein needed to be recused on that? Look, Rosenstein was appointed acting attorney general as it related to overseeing this investigation. Certainly he can make charging decisions relative to that and ethics officials would raise it. And certainly no one's going to question the integrity. At least a lot of Democrats said Rod Rosenstein was the savior of the Mueller investigation. Now they want to turn around with political stuntsmanship and attack Barr and make Rosenstein a foil rather than just sticking to their guns and saying, look, Rod Rosenstein is 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 a stand-up guy, a good lawyer, well respected, and and can make these judgments. Jimmy, that that bothers you. But you just saw A.G. Barr, who says he's 30-year friends with Bob Mueller, throw him under the bus and sit there and implicate Mueller in an alleged cover-up. You saw two lawyers. Let me me respond to that. You saw two lawyers disagreeing on points. We fight as lawyers all the time in court. We have disagreements internal to our offices all the time. That means we're not, that, that doesn't mean we're not friends. He allowed at the end of Bob the day. Mueller to be implicated by Republican senators as part of a cover up of Clinton's way, campaign investigation. And we all heard it. Look, Asha, he, weigh in the, on the this. I'm almost out of time. Jimmy, let me let her get in. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. With the Rosen, with the with the Ro, with the Rosenstein issue, Barr was being completely disingenuous. Let's remember that the whole reason that the special counsel was appointed was because there was 
at least an appearance of a conflict or possibly a conflict because of the involvement of Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein in the firing of James Comey. That's why you have this independent prosecutor. Even if Rosenstein got ethics clearance to be able to supervise that investigation, to then act as a judge in a case which in which he himself is a witness is a completely different ethical issue and would require he's, he's a separate prosecutor, uh, ruling you from the internal uh, ethics He's not acting yes, as a judge. Yes, I know better than you in this the, case. In the because role of a prosecutor. No, you don't because you, you when, must not understand you the separation of powers. That's here. why he and hired the jobs a of the special counsel versus the judiciary. No, the special counsel. Jim, read the regulations. A, the special counsel is, steps into. The special into, prosecutor, like Barr said, here? is like a U.S. attorney. And who does the U.S. attorney report to? The, who do the U.S. attorneys report to? The attorney general. In this case, it was Rod Rosenstein. He was supervising the investigation right, so and had Jimmy, a right to make charging point. decisions. I got that Period. point as to why you think it was okay so, for Rosenstein. Chris, Asha, Chris, counter the regulations. Yeah, the regulations gave the special counsel the prosecutorial and declination decision precisely because the DAG and the AG were conflicted, so they cannot make that decision. And in this no, case, no one ever Mueller said that chose the not to because of the principles Absolutely of... Absolutely not. No one ever made a determination that the deputy attorney general was conflicted in this matter. If he was conflicted, he couldn't supervise there it. Isn't and the ethics officials would have opined as well. Jimmy, let her answer. for creating a special counsel... <laughs> Read the grounds for the appointment of a special counsel. When there may be an appearance of any kind of conflict, that is when a special counsel is appointed. He cannot, that's so that you can give those prosecutorial decisions to someone who is insulated from the people who may be unable for either appearance or actual conflicts from then why being have able someone to do supervising that. the so investigation? So that requires a separate. All right, so let's because leave Because the there. supervisory mechanisms offered more oversight. Right. In we'll terms of there. if he, so the guy if he overseeing made those decisions, Congress could look at it. Right, Doesn't that's exactly right. The me. guy who was overseeing it saw a conflict once it started in, and then it was about, well, what do you do with that conflict? The question is, did Mr. Barr consider it? Did he look at it? Because he's supposed to be by the book. And by his answer today in the hearing, it was like he didn't even know why they were asking him. Asha, thank you very much. Jimmy, as always, appreciate the point and counterpoint. Now, as promised, Phil Mudd is coming back because we want to know in a segment called GTK, Good to know. After today, what was it good to hear about and to understand for the path forward? We'll get that right back. The attorney general testified for five hours today. Now, there's a lot that can happen there. But Phil Mudd highlights three particular points in good to know. Phil, your first point. Bar one. What does that mean? Oh, heck, yeah. you're looking at this saying, why didn't he answer this question, that question, the other question? If you're going into that hearing and you have a connection with the White House, you might walk out with a couple thoughts. Number one, did the president get embarrassed? The answer was no, he didn't. Number two, to have what, an AG who seems to be acting as his personal counsel, give I'm him not, the benefit of every doubt. That's what Chris Cuomo thinks. If you may be an AG who said, I was just appointed by this guy who likes to trash people. Mm. Think of every cabinet member who's been fired in the past year and a half. You walk out saying the president didn't get embarrassed here. And obviously the president has tweeted saying I was pretty happy with this. The right. second Fair question point. is you're looking at newspapers across America. How many headlines did Barr give them beyond saying what I told you in the letters I gave you is what I believe? Okay. I don't think he created a headline. So you may not like it, but I think if you're Barr, you're going out saying this wasn't going to be good. I walked out OK. All right. Uh, your second point is it's good to know what happened to Russia. What happened to Russia? I th remember, this is a little boring. He's not only the attorney general, Department of Justice. 
He oversees the FBI. The initial charge to Director Mueller, Special Counsel Mueller, look into Russian interference in the American election. You would think the Oversight Committee might say, can you offer us some perspectives going into 2020 about what the American people, many of whom are watching, might think? They didn't even talk about that. Well, there was some perfunctory talk. Ben Sass went down the road a little bit about how do we help campaigns better. But it was not as deep as the other blame game. Not even close. All right. Third point. Uh, Senator Graham, you believe, had a role of oversight that he punted on. How so? Oh, come on. Now, this is the Judiciary Committee looking at law. There are some legal issues here. Let me. Senator Graham says. Not only are we done here, but the most significant witness, Robert Mueller, we're not even going to bother to call him. That's oversight. He could have asked some basic questions of Mueller that are nonpartisan. Such? Director Mueller, we're going into the 2020 election. You're a legal professional. Are there ways that we can help Silicon Valley, for example, with laws to stop Russians from interfering with American companies? That's not Democrat. That's not Republican. Mueller saw a lot of information about Russian interference. Why didn't the Oversight Committee consider asking Mueller, should we change our laws? Let me give you another question. You're one of the very few people, Director Mueller, who will ever be a special counsel. You've been doing this for a couple of years. Are there ways that we can clarify special counsel responsibilities in the future? Nonpartisan question. Instead, Lindsey Graham says, not only are we not going to do oversight, we're not even going to call the most significant witness for the most significant judicial investigation on politics since Watergate. I mean, what the hell was that hot mess? Hmm. Hot mess. Well, that was Mike Roger mess. would say a spicy disaster. That's a spicy. <laughs> Phil Mudd, thank you very much. Thank you. Good to know. Good to see you. All right, we're going to take a break. A lot of attention on Bill Barr. No question. Phil's right about, right about that. But there's somebody else who deserves our time tonight. An amazing hero. An act of bravery. That is a message to us all. And it wasn't in Congress. Next. There was an amazing act of bravery today. Someone who put duty to others before anything else. And it's worthy of mention, especially on a day where we saw too many senators and an attorney general doing little more than serving their own selfish interests. It's ironic that an example of how we should aspire to be was largely missed today because many of us were fixated on people falling short in a Senate hearing. There was another deadly school shooting yesterday at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Last day of class, gunman enters a packed class. The kids had nowhere to go. That's when a special young man in that class, Riley Howell, just 21, looked like a blonde Tarzan. He saw that gunman and he decided to run right at him, knocked him down, led to his capture. The move, police say, saves so many lives. But the move also cost Riley his own life. You're either going to run, you're going to hide and shield, or you're going to take the fight to the assailant. Having no place to run and hide, he did the last. But for his work, the assailant may not have been disarmed. Unfortunately, he gave his life in the process. But his sacrifice saved lives. Sacrifice. Literally a holy act. And that's what this was, someone doing something that was bigger than themselves. We all wonder what we would do in a moment like that, and it's hard to imagine, but not for Riley's family. They say this is who he was, a young man who looked out for his young siblings and cousins, who idolized first responders, and was torn between college and volunteering for the military. He has always wanted to serve. Um, 
and it was a logical thing for him to go towards the shooter to take care of everybody else. And that is the hero, and that's the way he would have wanted to go. It's his aunt on the phone there, her voice steady, calm in the midst of drama, just like her nephew Riley. He's one of two who were taken. Four others were injured by yet another deranged person with dark intentions and access to a weapon. You know, after these shootings, we all wonder how to make them stop. We wonder if we know how. We're stuck in that position on this issue and a number of challenges that surround us. Riley should be a reminder of what true resolve looks like. You see a problem, you go right at it. His literal manifestation of what is merely a metaphor for the rest of us is proof that if something means enough to you, you can make it happen. Riley had to know what was likely when he ran at a gunman who could see him coming too. And yet he did it. Whether or not he made a calculation or a spontaneous move, maybe whether he saw thought about it at all. He decided to do something in the hope of stopping a problem. Now, I'm not lionizing or exaggerating for effect. I can't think of a situation that would be harder than the one this kid faced. And I don't think I could do what he did. But he did it. And that is affirmation of what is possible from people. Not everyone just takes care of themselves. All these cries about our collective decay, not everyone, not this kid. So on a day when so many of us are lamenting how pointless our politics seem, all the division, the emphasis on the negative, we see in a crisis that there is still potential for someone to do something that is the highest form of humanity. True sacrifice for others, no matter the cost. I'm sorry for his family their loss, and all of the affected families. But I also want to thank Riley Howell for reminding us that we can be so much better than we are, even against all odds and in a moment of dire crisis, that people can do amazing things for others. I hope people always remember this young man this way. And I hope we all remember that we can make a difference as well. Thank you for watching us tonight. There's a lot of continuing coverage. That means CNN Tonight with Don Lemon starting right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.